God is good. He is so good. You know, we never teach the word out of a selfish motive. When we're encouraging you to give, it's not because it's going to help us. Our salary stays the same. We don't get anything extra no matter how big the offering is. It's because we know the principles in God's word are true. God's not trying to get something from us. He's trying to get something to us so that we continue to live that generous life. And the more generous you are and the more seed you have to sow, the greater the impact on the kingdom of God the greater impact of bringing people out of the kingdom of darkness. And that's our goal. That's what we aim for. We aim for Trumbull County to be 100% filled with people who know God. How about you? Are you with me on that goal? We don't want anyone left behind. No child left behind. No soul left behind in the kingdom of darkness in Trumbull County. We're after all of them. Amen. God is good. I have a question for you. We've heard this question a million times. It's a question that's been rolling around in me. What difference does it make? Have you heard that? Have you ever heard that question? Well, what difference does it make? It's usually a question that's followed with frustration, with discouragement. Usually we're doing everything we know to do and nothing's changing. Well, what difference does it make? And then sometimes we hear it a little differently. What difference will it make? Looking at the pros and cons, thinking about making a change, is it worth the effort? What difference will it make? But the question I want us to think about today is what difference does God make? And I've heard that question. I've seen it on Facebook. In light of all the hurricanes, the fires, the earthquakes, everything that's going on in this world, if bad things still happen, what difference does God make? Does he make any difference at all? And that's what we're going to look at today. What difference does it make? Because what, give, what difference does God make is the question that our non-Christian neighbors and non-Christian co-workers are looking at us to see if there's any difference in our life and theirs to see if God is really makes a difference. To see if it's really worth stepping into what we say God will do. What difference does God make? Does he make a difference in our joy? Does he make a difference in our peace? Does he make a difference in our contentment? Or are we just like the rest of the world? We're discontent with everything and we just want more stuff and more this and more that and we're never satisfied. Or does God make a difference in our rest? Are we up at night worrying just like our non-saved Co-worker, are we able to sweep, sleep sweetly because the presence of God is in us and we know that he's working everything out to our good? What difference does God make? What difference does God make in our social media statuses? Hello. <laughs> I see so many updates about how AdvoCare changed my life and Plexus changed my life, and these are Christian people that I know, and I never see one status update about how Jesus changed our life. Plexus can change our health, and Advocare can change our energy, but only God can change our life. What difference does God make? And so there's three areas in particular I want to really dig down into today, if we get to all three of them. 
three areas in particular that we see in the word that God is supposed to be making a difference. Our thinking, our speaking, and our doing. Okay? Our thinking, our speaking, and our doing. And I really want to uh, hone in on Isaiah 8, verse 11. And we're going to start with our thinking. Isaiah said in, in chapter 8, verse 11, The Lord has given me a strong warning, a strong warning. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a, you might consider. Isaiah said, The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. Don't think like everyone else thinks. And this isn't just referring to the, the thoughts that flit and float around our head. And I really, when I started studying this out and praying about speaking on this this weekend, I really thought we'd be talking about taking those thoughts captive and bringing them subject to the Word of God. But the direction really that this verse goes isn't the individual thoughts that float around our head. When he's talking about don't think like everyone else does, don't fear what frightens them, He's the one who should make us tremble. If we go back into chapter 7, what we see him referring to here is the army that's ready to attack them. And he's not talking about individual thoughts that are flitting around their head. He's talking about their perspective. He's talking about their outlook. When somebody says, what do you think about that? What are they looking for? Your opinion. They're looking for your perspective. They're looking for your outlook. And I want to look at a few of these words in verse 13 especially because it says, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. And this has a lot to do with our perspective. This has a lot to do with our outlook. This has everything to do with God making a difference in how we think, making him holy in our lives. That word holy means set apart as far superior, more powerful than, and greater in every way than any created being. And so when he was telling them to make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in their lives, he was saying, make me in your perspective more powerful and greater and bigger than any enemy that's ever going to attack you in the natural. When he says, fear me and don't fear them, he's saying, you need to be seeing me as bigger than they are. Fear is just more faith in the enemy's ability to hurt us than God's ability to protect us. Fear is more faith in the enemy's ability than God's ability. That's simple definition. That's what fear is. And what we're afraid of shows who we reverence. What we're afraid of shows who we respect. And that word fear, when it says to fear him, it really means to reverence him. 
It means to see him as the one that's set high above, to respect him as the one who has more power, more might, and more ability than anything that we could ever face. And I love grace. I love grace. Grace makes him our father, right? Grace makes Jesus our best friend. But I feel like there's a level of reverence and of the fear of God that the church has lost in that teaching of grace because God is a God who loves us as a father. We still need to see him as creator. We still need to see him as holy, as set apart, as the creatures who are flying around his throne day and night are not singing Abba, Abba, Abba. They're singing holy, holy, holy. He's set apart as one who's set apart, highly set apart. And so when we see God in this perspective, right, it's going to completely change our lives. Does that mean he's not our father? No. Does that mean we can't have intimate fellowship and relations with him? Absolutely not. But it means that we need to see him as he is so that we can reveal him as he is. We were in here praying Thursday morning. Some of the ladies and I get together every Thursday morning at 9 o'clock and pray for revival. I was praying over in that corner, and the holiness of God settled in the room. Oh, it settled on me. I don't know if anyone else felt it or not. And he said, There's, we, we talk about the fire of God. We want the fire of God. And when we have a picture of revival and a picture of the fire of God, we picture jumping and shouting and dancing and singing, which are awesome. They're all part of it. I've never seen a person on fire sit still. You just don't. If you're on fire, you're just going to stop, drop, roll, shake, whatever it takes. But he said there's coming an outpouring of the fire of God that doesn't have anything to do with jumping and shouting and dancing. And it has everything to do with people coming into an awareness of the all-consuming fire. And fire serves a lot of purposes. He's an all-consuming fire. And when you send gold or silver through the fire, it gets rid of what doesn't belong. It gets rid of those impurities. It gets rid of those things of the flesh when we're talking about us. But fire warms, and it draws you close to keep you warm. And so when we're talking about this, I want you to keep everything in balance, okay? (laughs) We're not saying God's just this big old meanie now that's off in the sky and doesn't want us to be close to him. He does want to be the fire that warms us and pulls us close. But he also is the fire that is all-consuming. That holiness of God, that set-apartness of God. And actually, as I was reading in Isaiah 8, 11, it was referred back to in my reference Bible to Numbers chapter 20. And it's where Aaron and Moses are standing at the rock. And they're getting ready to bring water from a rock, which is a miracle. Have you ever seen water flow from inside of a rock before? Me either. It's a miracle. God is a, Say, God's a miracle-working God. 
But Numbers 20, verse 7 says, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community as the people watch. Speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come together at the rock. And let me just preface this by saying right before this, the people were grumbling, murmuring, and complaining about Moses and Aaron. Okay? They were not in a happy state. They were thirsty and they were saying, why did you even bring us out of Egypt? So Moses and Aaron were not um, in a peaceful, happy state. And we can see that in the next verse that says, then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff. I only said that slow because I had a speech impediment that comes out. And water, I wasn't trying to emphasize, water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. God wanted to demonstrate his holiness, his greatness, his set-apartness as being far greater and superior than anything they've ever seen through Moses by speaking to the rock and causing water to come out. And Moses did not trust God enough to obey the command. And we can say, did God make a difference here in Moses' thinking? Did God make a difference in Moses' perspective of what he was doing there? Did Moses look at that rock and then look at God and say, you're bigger and I trust you? Or did he fall back on what he had already seen happen because he'd already struck a rock and water came out? And every time I read this up until this point, I thought, man, he was just mad and that anger got the best of him. Man, in your anger, do not sin. But God specifies here that it wasn't an anger issue. It was a trust issue. It was a perspective issue. It was an outlook issue. Moses did not see God big enough to speak to the rock and cause water to come out. And so he didn't obey. God did not make a difference in Moses' perspective there. Right? Are you following with me? (laughs) Hang with me. Moses' lack of trust and perspective then kept all of Israel from experiencing the power and provision and miracle of God the way that God intended it come. Now, in God's mercy, he still provided for his people because he wasn't going to hold his whole people accountable for Moses' lack of trust. But if God's not making a difference in our perspective then what that does is it keeps everyone around us from seeing his power and demonstration through us. Are you with me? What difference does God make? One more quick story in this respect. Mark 4, 35 through 41. And this is when Jesus is sleeping in the storm. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. 
But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, and the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I love this story because we're dealing with seasoned fishermen. These guys had been on the lake in the middle of a storm before. They knew how to handle a boat. They weren't novices. They knew what they were doing, right? So if they were afraid... There was a natural reason to fear. If you've got burly fishermen in the middle of a boat, in the middle of a storm, terrified that they're going to die, then naturally speaking, there was a reason to be afraid. Jesus wasn't saying, why are you afraid, in respect that there was no natural reason to fear. Because there's a lot of times in our lives that there's a natural reason to fear. What he was saying was, have I not been with you long enough to change your perspective, to change the way you think here? The disciples had watched him perform miracle after miracle after miracle, and instead of waking him up full of faith with a perspective of miracles, they woke him up in fear. The better response would have been, okay, things look really bad, but we've got the miracle worker asleep in the boat. Let's wake him up and see what the power of God is going to do next. That would have been the better perspective. (laughs) Don't we all agree? But Jesus, in his mercy, still calmed the storm, even though they had little faith even though they didn't bring their faith with them on that boat trip. Because where, you know, where is your faith is what he really asked them. Where did you put it? I know you have it. Where did you put it? So in his mercy, he took care of them amidst their lack of faith. So even if you're sitting in here today and you think, I don't have any faith, I'm doomed, I'm doomed, I'm doomed, let me tell you the mercy of God is going to cover you through your storm and bring you through faithfully. And I really, I, I was looking for you guys during communion because I wanted to whisper a verse to you, but now we're just going to shout it and put it on the CD so you can take it home and find it. But Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And while we were in worship today, I got that verse for your grandpa. So you write it down and that's what you're going to speak over him. You're going to say, my grandpa's going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's going to fully recover. So you need to set your fear aside and see how big your God is. And he's going to come through. Amen? So what difference has God made? And this message isn't to beat us up. It's to say, man, if I'm over here, it's a quick change to come over here. If I'm sitting here in fear, it's a quick change to fix my gaze 
on the one who is set apart from those who are set apart from those who are set apart and say, I trust you. I trust you with my circumstance. I trust you with my mountain. I trust you that even though this says I should fear, I know that you're on my side, you're working it out, and there's no reason to be afraid. Amen. So what difference has God made in our perspective? It makes a big difference. Amen. I really want to get you to think today. I want to get you to think, and I want this message to wake up with you tomorrow when you face it, because it's easy to be in faith on Sunday morning when the anointing is here and the presence of God is settled, and it's all just I'm hitting home, than to wake up on Monday morning or even worse, in the middle of the night, Sunday night, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? That doctor's report, that bill, that thing that you're facing, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What I'm going to do is not worry because I know that no matter how big you are, my God is bigger. He's holy. He's to be reverenced to fear and above all else, he gives his disciples and his beloved sleep. And so I'm going to roll back over and let him take care of it. Amen. Amen. God is good. The next area we want to look at has God made a difference, is our speaking. Everyone say speaking. Our words get us into more trouble than almost anything. (laughs) I'll be the first to say amen. And when my words don't get me in trouble, my face does. (laughs) Right? Sometimes I have my words under control and my face is out of control. Like, okay. But we're going to die. You're not allowed to say amen. So we're going to talk about our <laughs> going to talk about our speaking. First we need to get our perspective right, and then our perspective is supposed to influence what comes out of our mouth. Because the word really is true. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and you can have whatsoever you say. Mark 11, 23, and 24. If you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things which God has said will come to pass, then you'll have whatsoever you say. His wor- say his word is true. You know, even if somebody took that way far wacky and took it to an extreme it was never meant to go to, it does not take the power out of the word that says that you have what you say when it's lined up with what he said right? God is good and our words matter. Say, my words matter. matter. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18, the apostle Paul said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But, everyone say but. But. You want to have a big but. But we continue to preach because we have the same spirit of faith 
the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, therefore I speak. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. And he goes on and he says in verse 18, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. The things we see now are temporary, subject to change. But the things we cannot see will last forever. What difference does God make in our speaking? And I think as a culture and anymore, we're too connected to our seer. We're too connected to our feeler. And we're disconnected from our believer. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. What we say reveals what's in our heart. And if you're talking more about how you feel and you're talking more about what you see instead of fixing your gaze on what will not change, then your speaker is connected to the wrong thing. God is supposed to influence our speaking. Isaiah 51.16 and Jeremiah 1.9, both are, are instances where God is telling the prophets, I have put my words in your mouth, so speak them forth. And that should be an example to us, Lord, I only want your words to come out of my mouth. Jeremiah 15, 19 said, this is how the Lord responds. And Jeremiah basically had just told the Lord, uh, I can't count on you. You don't look very faithful and I'm scared here. Even though God had told him again and again, I'm going to take care of you. So God's getting ready to rebuke Jeremiah here. And he said, this is how the Lord responds. If you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you speak good words, Rather than worthless ones, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. And I'm going to ask the question again. What difference does God make in our speaking? Do we sound just like our coworkers? And I'm not just talking about, I do. I, we work here, and so luckily we sound like, like precious people of faith. I'm not talking about a potty mouth here. Just not talking about just profanity. Do we gossip like they do? Are we just as negative as they are? Huh? Are our words filled with doubt rather than faith? Are our words encouraging? Do we build one another up? Do we speak love? Do we speak encouragement? Do we speak the word of God? Do we let him affect our perspective to the point that what's coming out of our mouth is only what he says? Jesus said, I say only what I hear the Father say. And he's our example, isn't he? And where do we hear what the Father says? The Word. My Bible's over there. The Word. That's where we hear what the Bible says. And he, he is supposed to influence our speaking. Not what's in our bodies. Oh, my achy, breaky back. Oh, my spleen. Spleen. Do you feel your spleen? 
<laughs> you talk to some people and they give you an organ recital. Oh, my stomach. Oh, my kidneys. Oh, my heart. Or, oh, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Oh, my strength is renewed day by day. I'm incre- I go from strength to strength, increasing in victorious power. Has God made a difference in our speaking? And this is checkup. We're, at, we're just at a, in a checkup today. We're at the doctor's for a checkup. And what we're going to ask ourselves when we leave here and when we wake up in the morning, when we start to say the same old thing, what we're going to say is what he has said to say. We're not denying the problem, okay? We're not denying the achy, breaky back. Somebody asks you how you feel. Oh, I'm perfect and pain-free when there's pain in your body. You say, okay, the pain is still there in my back, but... Everyone say, I want a big butt. (laughs) But my God heals. And I know his powers at work in my body, affecting a healing and a cure in me. If it's cancer. There's cancer in my body right now, but my God is a supernatural God who does supernatural things, and he's driving this cancer out by the life of God. Has... God made a difference in our speaking. We want him to make a difference in our speaking, amen? When we do allow him to make a difference in our speaking and our coworkers and our neighbors and our family can see the change, they're going to want what we have, amen? Are you following me? The last area that he's supposed to make a difference in is our doing. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. There's that think again. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We're going to present our bodies to God a living sacrifice. We're not going to do the same things that the world does. We're going to conform ourselves to what his word says we should be doing. Amen? Do you see that in there? Are you with me? Romans 6, 12 and 13. It gets a little more specific. Do not, everyone say do not. Do not not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Oh, now you did it. You got into the do's and don'ts. Don't you know grace? Right? Oh, we're forgiven past, present, and future. We are. 
His blood covers it all. Aren't you glad for the blood of Jesus? We're not making light of grace. But if grace in your life is only a cleansing agent and never an enabling agent, then you're missing half the point. Grace cleanses. Hallelujah. Where? Just take a minute and think where we would be without the grace of God. I don't want to even think about it. I'm so thankful for the cleansing agent of the grace of God, but I'm so thankful for the enabling agent of the grace of God that enables our no. In the Old Testament and under the law, they didn't have the wherewithal to say no. They were without strength to say no because grace wasn't poured out in full measure until the cross. But if we only use that grace to cleanse and never use that grace to enable us to be different, enable our doing, enable us to give ourselves so completely to God that nothing else matters. It's not a do and don't. It's not, I'm going to get in trouble if I do this. It's supposed to be motivated by love. It's supposed to be motivated by, I don't want to hurt the heart of God, so I'm going to find out in his word what will hurt the heart of God, sin. Sin separates. It still does. I'm going to find out what might hurt his heart, and I'm going to avoid it with everything in me. Sacrifice looks like, oh no, passion looks like sacrifice to those who aren't in love. Passion looks like sacrifice to those who aren't in love. So you have someone over here that's not letting sin control them out of love, and you have someone over here that's not letting sin control them because they're afraid of punishment. They're afraid of not going to heaven. Outwardly, it looks the same. They're both not letting sin control their lives. Inwardly is the difference. When it's love-based, It's full of joy. It's full of peace. It's I don't care. I don't want to anyway because I don't want to hurt the heart of God. When it's motivated because you think you need to earn your salvation, there's critical, judgmental, uck, beating yourself up all the time. Looks the same on the outside, completely different on the inside. But he's supposed to make a difference in what we do. Not just saying no. Let's read Romans 12, 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in, take delight in honoring each other. So him affecting us and influencing us has everything to do with saying no to sin, but he should be having an impact on what we do in saying yes to God and not just pretending to love others, but really love them. It does, it, that means I'm not going to be just sticky sweet to your face. Oh, Carmela, you're just so amazing. And turn around and go, man, that girl, I just don't really like her hair. There's nothing bad to say about Carmela. <laughs> Trying to think of something. It's bearing each other's burden. It's laying our lives down for one another. That's really loving them. It's not just saying I love you. It's coming to clean your house when you break your leg because you can't get up. That's love. Is he making a difference in what we do? 
And when we let him make a difference in what we do, then everyone around us is going to see his power at work in our lives and want it too. Right? Amen. I want to end with this because we're out of time. Philippians 3, 10 through 13 in the Amplified Version says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers. That I may share in his sufferings and be continually transformed in the spirit, into his likeness, even to his death, in the hope that, if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body looking different. Not that I have now attained this or have already been made perfect in this, but I press on to lay hold of and make my own that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but this one thing I do, it is my one aspiration for getting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He's supposed to affect our thinking, our perspective, our speaking, and our doing. But it's not from a formula. It's not just because he's some big God up in the sky waiting to beat us up for doing or saying or thinking the wrong thing. It's because we're deeply and intimately acquainted with him that we perceive and recognize and understand the wonders of his person. It's out of love. It's always out of relationship. And we had encounter night with the women Friday night, and I, to- I, I talked to them a little bit about my relationship with God. 27 years ago, he didn't just fix my life. He completely changed it. Completely changed it. I was living an empty, dark, dissatisfied, uncontent life. Going down a path I really wouldn't have survived. And he changed me. I've learned so much and I'm thankful for everything I know of him. That he's healer, that he's provider. I'm so thankful for what I've been taught of faith and the believer's authority and prayer and healing and everything that I know of him. But my favorite part is my relationship with him. Because even if everything else fell apart, that would never change. I would wake up tomorrow and he would be with me. He's walked me through some of the darkest days of my life and walked me through some of the happiest days of my life. He's been the only constant thing that I've ever experienced in my life. Are my thinking and speaking and doing perfect? Not even close. Ask my kids. They'll tell you the truth. (laughs) 
when Paul wrote this about knowing him, he was at the end of his life. He was ready to be martyred. He'd been walking with God for years and years and years. He said, not that I've already attained this. I just want to know him more. And I think sometimes we get to a place in our Christian walk where it becomes very mundane, like he's just a part of our lives and not the whole thing. Everything else is to flow out of him. We're not supposed to wrap our, squeeze him in wherever he fits. We're supposed to have it all about him. And then whatever else fits in is what stays. Because he makes all the difference in the world. The Bible's true. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I just want to take a minute, if you'll put the the piano on. I know it's 10.08. We're eight minutes over. Please forgive me. But um, I just want us to take one minute, one minute, 60 seconds, and just set ourselves in our heart again. I just want you. I just want more of you. Change my perspective. Influence my speaking. Be the one that my doing is wrapped around, Father. In Jesus' name. They're getting it ready. promise. (laughs) I didn't tell them ahead of time what I was going to do. That's my bad. God is good, isn't he? We're quiet today. I really hope you leave encouraged because this is not supposed to discourage at all. It's not to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Jesus said, come learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You know, um, I, I'm just so thankful for the word of God. I'm so thankful for this woman who stands next to me this morning. I know this, that the church is supposed to be an emergency room. It's supposed to be a hospital at times. But it's our desire as pastors here at this church to call you into your destiny. It's not just we're going to sit back and wait for the rapture. It's not we're going to just sit back and, and, and wish upon a star and, and sing Jiminy Cricket. This is about doing you probably notice over the last couple of years that our intentionality has shifted into the doing, into the participating with the promises of God. Our intentionality is this, that we might grow up together to be mature Christians who can speak to the mountain. I was just so glad that she mentioned that this morning. It's not, faith is not the denial of, an, of a mountain. Faith is the realization that that mountain may be there but God is bigger and so you'll continue to hear this type of lingo and this type of verbiage come out of our mouths because listen we have a purpose and you heard Pastor Tony say it earlier this morning it's Trumbull County we're going to affect and infect our county we're not going to let them affect and infect us. We're not going to be the thermometer. We're going to be the thermostat. Amen? So would you stand with us this morning as we go? As Pastor Tony mentioned earlier, we pray that these moments together with you in the Word and in, in His presence are encouraging to you to, number one, remember who your God is. 
Remember what his word says about you and for you. And so this morning, we want to just speak a blessing over you. And again, there's an intentionality to receive this and to understand that this is for you. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your children. We thank you for this amazing body of believers here this morning. I thank you, Father, that they would understand and know you. And So we bless you to understand and know that your God is bigger. Your God is stronger. Your God is greater than any mountain that may stand in front of you. May your eyes be open to see and to know just how big is your God. And as you walk out of this place this morning and all through the mundane parts of the week, in between times, may you realize again, God is bigger than what I'm looking at. God is bigger than anything that I'm listening to. God is bigger and greater and stronger because he lives on the inside of me than he who's coming at me in the world. We bless you to understand and know this and not only that, but speak and change your world. So are you ready to do that this morning? Come on. God bless you as you go and change your world in the mighty name of Jesus. We'll see you next week.